Well, it is a joy to, to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. And, and uh, I joked with Pastor Daniel that said maybe we could do a little, a little switcheroo. He could, he could lead the music, and, and, I'll, and I'll bring the Word. And he's in Texas, so that didn't work so well. But, uh, but no, it, it is a joy uh, to bring God's Word to you this morning. And, and uh, just by way of where we've been over the past couple months, we've studied through the Old Testament. Pastor Daniel's been preaching through... Um, various patches, passages showing how Christ has been revealed, been promised, is even seen throughout all of Scripture. And then a couple of Sundays, over the next couple of Sundays, next Sunday and the, and the following, uh, Lord willing, Daniel will be preaching from Proverbs, spending a couple weeks there uh, gleaning some wisdom principles from God's Word. And then also, as, as Ben already mentioned, next Sunday morning at 9 a.m., uh, we will celebrate with those who plan to be baptized at 9 a.m., and so if you are able to be here for that, it'll be a, a wonderful time. Well, this morning, I, I would like for us as a church to focus on, on worship. Obviously, the worship guy uh, doesn't always preach on worship, but, but I thought maybe this, this would be an appropriate time. And, and, uh, and more specifically, what I'd like to talk about a little bit is, is what does worship look like at Bethany Community Church? And I, it involves music, of course. But there's, there's a whole other side of worship that I want us to consider this morning as we open God's Word together. What, what happens when we gather to worship? What dictates the gathering of Bethany community when we come together congregationally? And so even as I say those words, I recognize that I have to lay that against what we already know to be true from God's Word. We are not living in the, in the Old Testament time of the Old Covenant, but rather we live in the, in the time of the New Covenant uh, in the context of that new covenant. And so we believe that worship does not happen in a, in a specific time and place, but it happens in and through a person. And so worship does not only happen on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock and 10.30 at 27265 Dutch Lane or, or here at 5.360 something Wilmore Road, you know. Uh, no, it, it happens in and through Jesus Christ who right now is sitting, as we already mentioned, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. So the title of my sermon this morning is, is Worship in the Church. If there's a subtitle to that, which is not in the notes, is, is what does worship look like at Bethany Community Church? What, what characteristics make up what worship looks like at Bethany Community Church? We'll focus on the theology of worship and more specifically, what that looks like, how practically that plays itself out at Bethany. So if you're new to church this morning, or maybe you're new to our church, or maybe even you're new to Christianity overall, please let me explain from the beginning what I mean when I use those terms, theology and worship. Because they often are misunderstood or even undefined. The term worship, in the general sense, means giving honor and glory to something. Ascribing worth to something and lifting it above other things. Oftentimes when we say we're going to have a worship service, we think it's a music service. But it's so much more than that. It's, it's lifting up the name of Christ. It's 1 Corinthians 10.31 would say that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Everything in our lives is worship. Lifting up Him. The term theology is, is a scary word sometimes. It's not meant to beat people up or to intimidate people. But simply it is, it is the study of God. 
the, the science of inquiring knowledge about who God is and responding to it. And so I would contend from the very beginning this morning that as God's people who have gathered together, that we would make it our highest priority to study Him. And so in doing that, we must also realize that in studying Him, our desire is to know Him. It should be our practice and our aim to know God. The practice of theology is reading and studying. Beyond that, it is consuming and reflecting and meditating upon God's Word. The aim of theology, as I said, to pursue God in order to know Him more. Theology runs its full course when worship is its aim. The study of God, a right knowledge of who God is, runs its full course when worship of God is in full view. We don't, we don't just sit around, and I don't encourage others to sit around and study theology in order that we may be puffed up with pride or filled up with knowledge of useless facts that we won't, won't use, but rather we pursue God and we study theology in order that we might worship him more fully. And so with that being the context of what my goal for our time together this morning is, will you turn with me to Psalm 96? Psalm 96. I love preaching through the Psalms. Psalm 96, and we're going to look at what worship looks like at Bethany Community Church from this text. Psalm 96, and will you stand with me in honor of God and his word as we read it together. Psalm 96, so sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord, he reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples in his faithfulness. May God add his reading to his word this morning. You may be seated. Let's pray together as we begin to unpack this wonderful psalm. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you this morning, and, and it is a joy and a privilege to open your word. And so this morning, Father, I pray, Lord, that, that you would speak to us, Lord. Speak 
Speak through me, not my words, but your words. Speak through your word this morning. Pray that we would be humbled in the light of its truth. Lord, and that we would be empowered by its power. Father, that we would walk with a genuine reminder that we are a people who are formed by the very word of God. Work in our midst this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this psalm that we just read is a psalm of David. And it is not an, an original text. In fact, it's, it's found in different places in God's word. The, the most common is in, in 1 Chronicles 16 when uh, the, the tabernacle was going to be dedicated. And so it was a very special occasion in which this, uh, this psalm was written. In fact, David had asked Asaph to, to sing this as a song and, and to sing it with his family as well. And so what, what is interesting is as the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into the tabernacle and the, and the history of redemption is being told through this psalm, it was originally meant as a, as a hymn for the Israeli people. It's, it's retuned or even modernized, if you will, in this text as a hymn even to the Gentiles. So even in Psalm 96, we already see songs that are not done in their traditional way, but rather even songs done in a modern way, giving praise and glory to God. Charles Spurgeon, who is a known uh, prince of preachers, as he was called, called this a missionary psalm. He said of this text, There should be no divisions made in this psalm. It is one and indivisible. It is a garment of praise without seam. It's woven from the top throughout. So this morning, I'm going to seek to go through this whole psalm. We'll see how we do on time. I gave myself extra time this morning, and uh, I'm going to try to do what Daniel tries to do every week, and, and that is end us on time. So we're going to walk through this passage and see the, ins the very inseparable nature of theology, who God is, the study of God, and worship, ascribing to him glory. What I'd like to do this morning is to draw five truths or five characteristics that hopefully would shape what worship looks like at Bethany Community Church. So the very first thing that I'd like you to write down as we, as we look at the text is, worship at Bethany Community Church is, is God-focused. God-focused. And please know this list is not exhaustive or, or only these things, but rather it's what I came up with from the text. It's God-focused, even God-centered, if you want to say that, or if you want to get extra credit, you could write theocentric. Theocentric. Look with me at verses 1 to 3. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation. Declare his glory, his marvelous works. We see six things commanded for us to do through the psalmist. Six imperatives that the scriptures puts to bear on, on your life and on mine. Three times we are commanded to sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. One time we're called to bless his name, to tell of his salvation, to declare his glory among the nations. The interesting thing about this is that we're not only being commanded to do this, but we're also given a, a model in how our worshipful response should be as God's people as we have a right understanding of theology, studying God. 
so ask the question, so, so what kinds of songs should we sing? Well, from this text, we should sing songs that focus on God. Sing to the Lord, it says. It's commanded. We also see in the text that we are to sing new songs. That term there for new in Hebrew means, means fresh or new mercies. As it declares, his mercies are new every morning. Not something stagnant or what we've always done. The church has been given a song to sing. We are set apart from all other religions of the world and that we are a singing people. If you know, if you know me well or hang out with me very much, I love to sing, if you haven't known that already. And, I, and I'm always humming a song or whistling around the office, things like that. And, and uh, <clears throat> good or bad, this has kind of followed me at home as well. You know, we, we try to have a rule at, at mealtimes when I'm home for dinner, no, no singing or no whistling or music at the table. And I'm just seeing, I am such a bad example because, you know, I could, I could walk around our house before supper time and I, I'll walk into Emma's room and she'll be, you know, singing, oh, her latest song is, He made a way in a manger, a way to, and, and just over and over again. She sings it and twirls around in her room, dancing around. So then, you know, time to eat, Emma. Put, leave the iPod there. And, you know, and I walk into Jacob's room and he's got his new puppy guitar singing. Um, he likes a song. My soul sing offering, how great you are. Just, just another great song. Or Madeline, who's already in her high chair with usually spaghetti sauce or whatever the meal is of the day on her face. She's singing, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And so uh, my, my attempt to not sing at the table is, or, or even around mealtimes is horrible. But my point is, uh, we are a singing people as God's creation and so we are setting an example for those around us. Um, we have been given a song to sing. It is the song of salvation. The substance and the aim of our song is Christ. Ours is a song of salvation, and it's a beautiful song. At Bethany Community, on a practical side, on a way of application, we don't sing new songs simply to mix it up. Or simply because I, I heard it on the radio station the other day. Or I want it to be the latest challenge to our worship team or to the congregation. No, we sing new songs because we desire to proclaim and to confess the truths of our faith in fresh and meaningful ways. We also sing new songs because God's word tells us to. We recognize that new songs are not an end in and of themselves. We see that the new song we sing is always informed by the old song. And it looks with anticipation forward to that new song that we will sing in heaven someday, as Revelation 5 tells us. So even this morning, the songs that, that I chose... We're very intentional in that we did sing a joy to the world, very traditional way. But this middle set of songs were, were newer songs, maybe very new to some of you. But in a, in a way, my, my goal, my aim was to draw your attention not to the songs of old, but to the songs of new that remind us in fresh, new, meaningful ways that our song is a song of salvation, declaring glory to God. We see thirdly in verse 2, not only are we to 
sing songs that focus on God and to sing new songs, but we are to sing songs that bless the Lord, songs that bless His name. The song of the church should declare God's glory above all things. And that is done when we sing songs that that bless Him, that are a sweet sound to His ear. So, those are the kinds of songs we should sing. Who is to sing the song? It tells us clearly, all the earth, all the earth is beckoned to sing praises to God and to bless His name. We don't, we don't worship in, in isolation or by ourselves. We don't, we don't draw circles around ourselves or have different pockets around the theater where, where we draw the circle on ourselves and say, okay, it's, it's me and you, God. We're going to worship this morning. No, we, we gather together, we open our eyes, and we gather with God's people and engage in worship. We practice Colossians 3.16 of, of teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's corporate worship that serves as a rich time for God's people to gather. That is what is about gathering. We also know from the very beginning that this is a proclamation that we're heralding. We're, we're declaring to the nations the song of salvation. Singing is a useful tool in the hand of God. We don't simply sing songs to pass the time until the real teaching comes. We use singing as a tool to teach God's truths as well. From time to time I get asked, how do I choose songs? Or why I do choose a song or why I don't choose a certain song. Well, let me say two things. First is, that's a sermon for another day. But secondly, let me first as well say that I appreciate your grace and your love for me in this area as we all bring preferences and opinions to the table. I read a a great piece of advice that a pastor, Mark Deaver, gives to worship pastors when he says this he says as the main worship pastor it is your responsibility to shepherd the congregation into the green pastures of god-centered gospel-centered songs and away from the arid plains of theological vacuity or emptiness meditations on human experience and emotional frenzy emptiness is the result of deficient theological perspectives From preaching to singing, when we develop a primarily a man-centered view of worship, anthropocentric, rather than a God-centered view of worship, theocentric. So with that in mind, on a practical side, at Bethany Community Church, we sing songs that are God-focused because we desire, we make it a practice that we desire to proclaim truth about God and Christ, and we recognize that it is by God's grace and through his spirit that he uses um, the truth to draw people to Christ. So this means that we will strive to teach, to sing songs that declare more about what God has done for us than what we are going to do for him. Why we, why we do that? Well, because simply God has done it all. God has done everything. We are people held in God's grace from beginning to end. And I would hate, and I'm talking to myself here, and I would hate for me to think that something that I bring, some gift 
that I have somehow offers me merit or favor before an almighty God. Whether it be through my offering of, my, of the lips, the words I speak, through the, the gifts that I bring, through my, my money, whatever it is, anything, I need to trust full well that the gift I bring to the Lord is, is only evidence of God's grace in my life. And it's only God, it's God's grace in your life as well. So the first truth that characterizes worship at BCC is God-focused, God-centered, or theocentric. Number two, worship at Bethany Community Church is biblically founded. Biblically founded. I heard a, I was at a worship conference last year, I heard one of the speakers say that, that worship leaders or worshipers need to come to lead the people of God with an instrument in one hand and a Bible in the other and know how to use each weapon well. And so from our, from our singing, I want our songs to be, to be drenched, to be saturated with the Word of God. In our preaching, and our sermons, we want our preaching not to be convenient or what, what is what you would like to hear about or what you would want to know, but rather we want to preach, we desire to preach on the su- sufficiency of the Word of God. We believe that God has spoken to man and we are building our very lives upon his word. The only necessary thing for us to gather and worship God, it's, it's, not, it's not colorful lights or decorations, although sometimes we have some of those things. It's not a high-dollar, state-of-the-art sound system. We're okay there. It's not, uh, it's not even the most amazing arrangement of worship songs you've ever heard. The only thing that we need for congregational worship to take place is simply the Word of God laid open in the midst of His people. That's all we need. That puts me out of a job, doesn't it? No, I hope not. So what do we do when we gather here? When we come together on Sunday mornings, what do we do? We, we are gathering around the glory of Christ. We're gathering around His Word that is open in the midst of us. We're saying to ourselves, okay God, today when we gather, you're going to speak to us because you have spoken to us through your word. I have a confession to make, and, and if maybe you're like me, but oftentimes when I visit another church, um, which isn't often because I hate to be away from this place, but often the first thing that I will do when I walk into the sanctuary or I see the usher and get the bulletin is I'll open it up to see, let's see, what, what are we going to sing today? Oh, not that song again. Oh, I don't know that song. Oh, I love that song. You know, do we, anybody else do that? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Or, or uh, there will be, uh, be some times where some of, the, some of the members of my band will, will send me email. I'll send the, the set list out. I call it the set list for the week of here's the song they're doing. And there's, there's one band guy in particular. He always sends me the email and says, oh, the set list of the legal is great. And I think to myself, well, thanks, but what does it mean when he doesn't send me that? Does that mean? So uh, we oftentimes come uh, with different expectations. And so as we show up by way of application, as we show up here on Sunday mornings, gathering around the glory of Christ, expecting God to speak, are we, are we prepared for that? And I, when I say expected for God to speak, understand, I don't mean in a, in a metaphysical, mystical, mysterious way, God's going to 
give me a word from the Lord. I mean a way that is true, a way that is tested, a way that we hold in our hands, and it is through his word. I'm thankful for Daniel and his, his passion for God's word and his passion to preach boldly its truth. God is the God who speaks to his people, and he is the God who speaks to us through his word. So I ask these questions. How can we obey these first three verses if God has not revealed himself to us? How can we, how can we sing to the Lord a new song if we don't know who God is? How can we... How can we invite the nations, declare among the nations God's glory, invite them to join us in that song if we don't know the, the song, if we, don't, if we don't know how to invite them? How can we bless the name of the Lord unless he has communicated his name to us? The answer is he has. We are a people formed by the word of God, and it is his word that leads us and calls us to worship. Through every aspect of our services, God is revealing himself to us and how we should respond. And how is that? Hopefully in singing, as this text would say. One of the fascinating things about these verses is the intentional redundancy. It's not a, it's not a mistake or a, or a crafty way David was trying to get a rhyme going there. No, it was with great intention. In fact, uh, Spurgeon again says of this, Thrice is the name of the Lord repeated, and not without meaning. The sacred fire of adoration only burns with vehement flame where the doctrine of the Trinity is believed in and beloved. So we are a people who worship God by the Son, through the Spirit. We worship God the Father through the Son, through the Spirit. God the Father has predestined our salvation. The Son has secured it, and the Spirit has sealed it. We're a people kept by the triune God, and this should cause reason for us to sing. We don't study theology so that we know things. We study theology so that we will know him. God is the God who keeps us. God is the God who directs us by his sovereignty and might. We don't pursue theology as an end in and of itself. If we were to do that, it would be a pursuit of knowledge rather than a pursuit of God. John Piper writes, If we just know God in our minds, we're not doing anything different than the devil. The devil is one of the most theological, orthodox beings in the, universe, in the universe. He just hates what he knows about God. And so our aim as we study God's word, as we study who God is, cannot be to be the most theological person, to be the most theological, orthodox church in the area. No, our aim is to be a people who are held by God's grace. And as we gather together, we want our lives to be informed to be formed and informed by his word. Number three, the worship at BCC is gospel-formed. 
gospel form. Verses 2 and 3, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. The role and the responsibility of the church is to both remember and to remind one another of the glories of the gospel. The gospel simply is the goodness of God given to us in Christ. When, when, gospel, when we remind each other of the gospel as a church, when it becomes common in the, in the church culture, we will be a people who are rooted and grounded firmly in our identity in Christ. And great things will happen. So, so what is the gospel? I feel I need, to, I need to at least define, explain what I mean when I say the gospel that forms our worship. The gospel is this, and I, and I tried to just keep it in a, in a succinct form. The gospel is this. God, God made you, the all-powerful and all-knowing, all-sovereign, holy God, created you in his image. And yet, by Adam's sin, you inherited sin, and therefore were once an enemy of God. But God, being rich in mercy and love, sent his only son, Jesus, to bear the punishment of your sin. And by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cro- from the cross, you are, you are set free. You are reconciled to God by Jesus, having confessed of your sin to him. You are no longer an enemy of God, but now you are a child of God, a child of the King. Knowing and understanding this truth moves us, should move us, to genuine worship. This is what should be the content, the substance of our conversations as we gather Within, within the context of our gatherings, we have a unique opportunity to tell of God's salvation from day to day. Through the use of singing and praying, through reading God's word, we're able to tell the salvation of God to one another. We are a people that are gospel-formed, knowing that the gospel is, what, is one primary thing that we hold in common. And it's all that we need. It's powerful. One famous uh, pastor on the East Coast has said this in a book that he wrote, that the primary duty of the Christian is to remember the gospel. And I would add, as I already did, that we should also remind one another of the gospel. The worship at Bethany Community Church is gospel formed, and so we want to be fluent in the language of the gospel. We don't want to be afraid of it or not desiring to share it, but rather we want to know it so well that we can be a church fluent in the vernacular of the gospel. As we look at verses 4 through 9, are you getting a little worried that we're going to get through this? Me too. Uh, Verses 4 through 9, it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. To be, he is to be feared above all gods. 
for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of Israel, O O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. With a quick look at that, at that text, we find all these virtues, attributes of the character of God that he does not share with us. We see that he is great, that he is to be praised, he is to be feared, he is splendid, he is majestic, he is strong, he is beautiful. And so we ascribe to him glory and strength and we bring offerings and we tremble. And these, these things, these attributes, these are reserved for God. And you see, the gospel, a right understanding of the gospel is what enables, it's what facilitates, it's what, it's what even compels us as his people to share it. So the more rightly we worship, it does not produce more favor in the sight of God. No, it's, it's Christ alone. It's our standing in Christ before uh, Almighty Holy God alone that produces any commendation before Him. So the only way to worship rightly, and not only in the musical singing as we gather, but even in our lives, in every area, the only way to worship rightly is in and through Jesus Christ, through the gospel. It, it forms us. The more we know about God, the more we long to know Him. The more knowledge that we have of Him, the more we should want to know of Him. It becomes an unquenchable appetite in the heart of a worshiper. In verse 7, we see the gospel compels us to ascribe greatness to God. We gather together corporately on Sundays to ascribe unto God the worship that is due Him. We don't only again, we don't only come together on Sunday and say, okay, and now I can worship. We've been hopefully worshiping all week and everything by the gospel. And as we come together with God's people, we ascribe to each other. We remind one another. We admonish and teach and remember together the glories of the gospel. We ascribe greatness to God. D.A. Carson writes as a danger of seeking worship, seeking excellent worship. He writes, you cannot find excellent corporate worship until you stop trying to find excellent corporate worship and pursue God himself. Despite the protestations, one wonders if we are beginning to worship worship rather than worship God. He continues, As a brother put it to me, it's a bit like those who begin by admiring the sunset and soon begin to admire themselves admiring the sunset. It's like those admiring God and then begin to admire themselves admiring God. We need to pursue God. We need to study God. We need to long to know God more fully, which will result, which will compel us 
to aspire greatness to him. In verse 8, we see that the gospel calls us to bring worshipful offerings to God. I've already said that our, our most costly offerings that we bring, any gift that we have, is simply an evidence of God's grace. James 1 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from, is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. We are receivers. We bring, we bring to God nothing. We add to God nothing. He is sufficient from first to last. He is faithful from beginning to end. And so any offering that we bring in the context of this text is grace-enabled and is compelled by the gospel. Verse 9, we see that the gospel causes us to tremble. Causes us to tremble. So verse 7, we are compelled to ascribe greatness to God. Verse 8, we are called to bring worship to God. And verse 9, number 3, we, we are, it causes us to tremble. I believe this may be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, weakness of the evangelical church is our wrong understanding or even our, our uh, disinclination, if you will, to tremble before Almighty Holy God. We don't, we don't open our services with hype organ to set a, a mood and intimacy with God, although intimacy with God is vital. We open our services on Sundays typically declaring His praise. This morning, joy to the world, the Lord has come. We sing songs, our God saves. There is hope in your name, our God saves, we declare. We sing songs, then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art. Songs that declare praise to God. We sing songs that tell of God's nature and his character. The more that we have a God-focused view of his person, the more our hearts are able to explode with, in, with praise in response to him. The worship at Bethany Community Church is that which is gospel-formed. And so when, when you prepare to worship with God's people on Sunday mornings, we're not just hearing sermons. We are rehearsing for what we will be doing for all of eternity. And I don't mean an eight-hour worship service. Uh, there, will be, there we will see worship perfected. And so in our working and in our existing eternally, we will be a people that worship God perfectly. Number four, number four, worship at BCC is congregation friendly or congregational friendly or congregationally friendly, whatever your grammatical preference is. I couldn't figure it out. <clears throat> the psalm that David had written was not, was not just for Asaph to sing at the dedication of the tabernacle, we see in 1 Chronicles 16 that he not only invited his family to sing with him, but also to invite all, the, all of those around to lead the people of Israel in song. I try to be very intentional, and I don't often do the best at it, but I try to make our musical worship on Sundays congregational, 
with you in mind, lowering keys when I need to, cutting out bridges that, that don't fit, cutting down the repeats that seem too redundant. I try to keep things simple because as we gather on Sundays, the goal is not to see pomp and pageantry. We don't, we don't have paid musicians. I, I know, I know, it's hard to believe. Uh, in fact, sometimes I, I think that these musicians are led by probably the worst music guy of them all, me. So, uh, so just know we're not, we're not trying to impress anyone. Uh, but it's not about that. It is about us as God's people gathered around the glory of Christ, praying together, singing together, reading his word together, seeking to behold God who is seated on his throne, to remember that truth of the gospel and to be reminded of it so that we may encourage one another with it. That's what I mean when I say that our worship is congregational. God is not redeemed for himself a person. God is redeeming for himself a people. We are God's church. And so, by way of application, how do we practice that? One natural way is through singing. As God has put a song in your heart, as God through, through his Son has inspired your soul, declare his praise with the song. There's a call here to encourage others around you and to declare God's praise. It's not just coming to our gathering and watching me and the, and the praise band sing. I don't, I don't like to just hold the microphone and hear myself sing. I, I like to be drowned out by voices. So when you come on Sunday mornings, do you know, are you aware that you are you are a part, you are a part of the worship service. You are a part of ringing and declaring praise to God. It's congregational, congregational friendly. Number five, the fifth and final thing about worship at BCC is, <clears throat> with this we'll close, is that it is missionally fired up. Missionally fired up. And I, and I don't mean that, you know, by way of, we seek the lost in our, in our aim or our, our target. What I mean by that is we have uh, verse 10 uh, where it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. So verse 10 to verse 13 gives us a glimpse of this missional focus that fires us up. We have been called not to keep the mysteries of the gospel to ourselves, we haven't been redeemed as God's people to be quiet about his goodness in our lives. But rather, we have been called to say among the nations, the Lord reigns. We should not come into our, our gatherings together on Sunday mornings and boldly proclaim and sing loudly and rah, rah, amen, amen. And then not have the courage to share that with our neighbor. When we see the gospel being communicated in this room, it should be a powerful thing. How much more powerful should it be when it, when it leaves this room as it proves that we believe these things, that we are 
professing, that we are encouraging, that we are reminding one another of when we gather. So I would encourage you, even as you think about the things that I'm saying here, and as you would ponder the truth from this text, to be sure that you are understanding the gospel in the light of what, it, how it should shape our everyday life. Is it to fire us up to share, to declare His glory among the nations? Secondly, we worship in light of eternity. We worship in light of eternity. We believe that the day will come when Christ will return and God will dwell among His people and we will worship Him forever. So as we gather together as the body of Christ on Sundays, we are, in essence, rehearsing for eternity. We are preparing God's people to worship Him forever. Philippians 3 says that we are participating as citizens of heaven. As we close, I'm reminded of, of Revelation 5, verses 9 through 10. The culmination, the the redundancy of Psalm 96 and 1 Chronicles 16. We see this new song that is, that is going to be sung. This new song that is going to be focused on God. That is founded upon the truth of His Word. The new song that will be formed by the Gospel. The new song that will, that will be congregational and and in that day, in that day of eternity, there will be no need for a mission anymore as we will be in His presence. It says this, Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. May that be true for us. May, may, God, may God give us a vision for the worship at Bethlehem Community Church. May Psalm 96 shape our theology and cause us to desire to, to genuinely worship Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for the ways in which you have lavishly and generously given your son for us. Father, I would pray for us as a people, as, as your church. Lord, I would just pray for our gatherings together that that our lives, that our lives would focus on you, that our lives would focus on your glory, that that Jesus Christ would be would be preeminent in our lives over all things, that our worship, that our very lives would be founded upon, built upon, even shaped by your word. Pray that God's word would be our only standard, the final rule. Father, pray that we as a people, we as your people, would remember the gospel, that we would remind each other daily of its power, 
in our lives. Help us, help us not to live, help us not to live lives in a way that we would be seeking acceptance from you or merit or favor. Pray that we would realize, Lord, I pray that I would realize any good thing that I have is not enough to justify acceptance before you. My acceptance before you is solely based on the work of Christ. May that encourage my soul. May that cause me to genuinely worship and, and to invite others to worship with me. Help me to live my life. Help us all to live our lives in light of eternity. Taking every opportunity to proclaim your greatness and your glory and your grace, which we find in the gospel. Thank you for our time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.